You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for May 15th, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the Sterling Cooper & Partners going out of business sale, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Hi there. Hey, Blue Gal. How you doing? I'm fine. You have a theme for this week, you said. I do. I, I, I did not intend to have a theme for this week because that's not how we roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we were discussing what we are going to discuss, and uh, as the script that we wrote, the 60-page script, was in its third editing ah. um, towards the final draft that we're going to go through now. It's more like a six-item list that's on a Google Doc somewhere in the ether. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an index card of notions. Yes, it is. Uh, though every single one of my pauses and fuck David Brooks's and stuff is carefully scripted. Yeah. Um, it, I noticed that there are there is kind of a theme, and that is how the stuff we talk about um, and have been talking about for five years now, and that we've been writing about for, much, for twice that long. Mm-hmm. Um, Certain themes keep coming up over and over again, and every now and then it's harvest time mm-hmm. when the stuff we've been saying, if this goes on, if this goes on, this is the sort of thing you can expect. This is what it looks like when things fall apart or whatever. Um, and this week, a lot of things, maybe it's just because uh, Mad Men is ending, but a lot of things came to a crescendo, came to a golden moment where you can say, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Perfect little summations of exactly what we've been talking about in a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways. Um, but I started going down the list going, wow, it really is a, a, a lot of a lot of codas being put on a lot of things we've been talking about all this time. Um, starting with Dr. Elizabeth Warren, Senator Dr. Elizabeth Warren in the in the good category, in the category yeah. of good things that are happening that the reason we, we have been saying all along, please stop stalking the good senator. Please stop begging her. Please stop sending me emails every fucking day asking for $3 so you can stalk this woman into becoming your ideal presidential candidate, even though she's told you 78 different ways that she doesn't want to do it. Yeah, and we got an email from our listener, D, who is a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast. Hello, D. Hey, D. Uh, D uh, sent me an article about... President Obama's speech uh, at Nike, Nike of all places, I know. Uh Uh, And this article really posited the speech as president gets slayed by liberal majority or liberal minority. And there's this huge uh, rift now between the president and Democrats in the Senate and hatred and slamming and all these kind of words that are hit bait, you know, clickbait. Uh And... I wrote back to Dee and said, you know, <laughs> apparently they didn't hear the speech that I heard, which was all about this as a family fight. And uh, Elizabeth Warren is my fellow traveler on all kinds of issues. And we disagree on this one. And I think she's wrong and uh, really not as violent. I mean, it's it's Obama. So, <laughs> you right. know, get a grip here. Um, but I did say to Dee, you know, um, as far as this TPP thing is concerned. First of all, the president really shot himself in the foot by keeping it a secret and saying, you know, oh, we're just going to rush this through because that puts everybody 
on edge and uh, all kinds of flags go up that this the secrecy of it and this it has to be passed quickly um is just not true <coughs> patriot and you can't read it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. all right what? fine then we don't want to pass it yeah right then no and and then the more important uh point especially in terms of elizabeth warren i mean think about this if an issue is in her wheelhouse, if it's trade and consumerism and reeling back uh, corporate power in government, she can veto a sitting Democratic president. Yes, she can. And that's an amazing thing and very important to have in the Senate. That yeah. is what checks and balances is about. That's what it used to look like. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I think, as you said a couple of weeks ago, this is what a Democratic senator and a Republican president ought yes. to be arguing about. <laughs> if, if you, if you, this is uh, also in tune with um, both David from Axis of Evil, David from, and David Brooks looking at the British elections and saying, "See, see, center right. It's a center right moment. If only the left and the right in this country were, would both stop fleeing from the reasonable center where we should <laughs> reside." Again, adding a, yet another chapter to their completely fake history yeah. of the last 30 years. And, and we got and, we got a pained email from Andy in England yeah. about this. And so he, yeah. say, he said that he's watching Noam Chomsky videos to cheer himself up. It's, it's really bad. It's pathetic. Um, but the idea that, I mean, let's face it, David Frum is a cheaper, hoarier version of David Brooks, mm -hmm. who is in a, a Bush regime dead-ender. Mm -hmm. he, he, he speaks in humble terms and wears humble clothes and looks like a little fogey uh, and has a whole shtick for passing on public television. But he really never misses an opportunity to suggest that somehow both parties, both sides are always wrong in this country. Mm -hmm. Sure, 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 the, the, the right's crazy, but the left is too. And, and that's just simply a lie. That is, uh, David Brooks is a liar. David Frum is a liar. They lie professionally. They, they lie for a living. And they get away with it because it's a really pleasant lie that everyone wants to believe. The truth of the matter is that we, if you simply lopped off the Republican Party and drove it into the sea, what would be left is what a sane country would look like. If you just took everybody who that 27 percent who still believes that George Bush was a great man and Dick Cheney just didn't go far enough that supports the clown car. If you if you tied them, if you tied Sheldon Adelson and the rest of these clowns together and dropped them into the ocean uh, again, what remains is what a sane country looks like. You would have a an Eisenhower Republican named Barack Obama on one side. You would have a Ted Kennedy Democrat named Elizabeth Warren on the other side, and they would argue between them over everything. And they would come to some sort of sensible, hopefully, agreement, and that's how the country would be run. That is the spectrum of opinion that a sane country should have. We have this rump party that controls the Republican Party that's reactionary crazy. And the, the whole media, our entire media, is devoted to pretending they don't exist or they're not really that bad. Or look over there. There's a hippie doing something bad. And when, in fact— the conflict between Elizabeth Warren and Barack Obama is exactly how government's supposed to work. And and a person of her high-mindedness and principle and expertise telling a president, no, you can't have this. No, you are wrong. And you know what? We're going to veto this if we have to. Not veto. We can we can filibuster this. Yep. We yep. can stop you. We can put a stop of it to it. Yeah. Is exactly how government is supposed to work. Um, and I wanted to add to that that there are advantages to being a lame duck 
Oh, yeah. And there are disadvantages to being a lame duck. And, and Barack Obama is learning both of those. Uh-huh. Uh, his his ability to speak his mind about Fox News, for instance, and we're going to get yeah. into that yeah. uh, when we talk about Joe Scarborough. I also wanted to add um, a really interesting – I mean, it's playing with statistics, but I thought it was really um, a fascinating way to frame uh, this whole Republicans are crazy business. Uh-huh. Jeb Bush is um, in the lead among – People polled, Republicans polled, for the Republican nomination. He comes in first. Um, if he comes in first among people who do not, Republicans, who do not believe that the federal government is invading Texas. Right. Republicans who feel that the, that the U.S. military is invading Texas, he is fifth. Yep. And, yep. and the, the majority of Republicans, the the vast majority of Republicans who support Rick Perry or and or Ted Cruz for president, if you support a Texan for president, yeah, then you definitely believe to the tune of like seventy six percent of people who support Rick Perry think mm-hmm. that the army is invading Texas right now. And the army invading Texas right now. And the Jade is, Helm fifteen. Yeah, is a a conspiracy theory on its own. It's also be a proxy for every other incredibly stupid thing that these meat it sticks is. believe. It is. It and is. have believed for years. And they will believe at this point they're they are baby birds. Their mouths have been pried open so far and their mm-hmm. brains so rotted in their skulls, they will believe anything that Rush Limbaugh craps down their throat. Well anything. think about it. They think Ted Cruz will make a great president. So yeah. I mean and, that tells and, you a lot. And it's very and it really is a simple lop off that quarter of the country mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and our problems go away <laughs> really yeah. it's that simple yeah. Yeah. get rid of all these people find a way to sequester them as a disease and let them breed out and go away um and all of our problems go away i mean we still have environmental problems we still have economic problems banking problems and so forth but this this collar around our throat this crazy these crazy people who have us by the throat and will not let us debate things in a serious adult way uh, is the first problem we have to solve. Because Jade that, Helm. Because Jade Helm. And <laughs> so anytime you want to have a ser- serious foreign policy discussion around any diner table in any kitchen in America or any any um, restaurant in America, there's always two assholes who want to scream Benghazi. Right, right. Anytime you want to talk about energy policy, climate change, there's always two assholes there who scream about, uh, it's, it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. It's a hoax. Mm-hmm. Once you get rid of those people, you can start having a really serious conversation. And since you, it is both impractical and immoral to get rid of them in any real, true, physical way, you have to get them out of the political process. You have to stop have to their voice. Right. Their voices don't belong in our conversation. Mm-hmm. And and you have to go after the people that hold the megaphone that let that, those voices be heard and be taken seriously. Well, Fox News and, never talks about poor people in a mean way. No. No, that never happens. Nope. And uh, speaking of that, your post on Joe Scarborough has gotten a lot of traction this week. It has, except, except, (laughs) except with Joe Scarborough. (laughs) Well, except with Joe Scarborough or uh, Paul Begala. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) Paul Begala is 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 on Twitter wondering uh, if if Joe Scarborough. What's wrong with Joe Scarborough? Um, you know who won't comment on on Joe Scarborough? Chris Hayes. Yeah. Oh no. No. You were not talking about that. That if Joe Scarborough was on Fox. Yeah. Then 
last it, word would have been all about Joe Scarborough. After they got done with the train wreck, it would be all about Joe Scarborough. But because he's sharing a network with Lawrence O'Donnell, Lawrence O'Donnell can't talk about this. But let's but get back. Still, let's go back into just a little bit of background. I want to kind of do a little sure. more background in our Absolutely. podcast. Um, the president spoke about poverty uh, for about 72 minutes. Uh-huh. And during one part of his talk, he mentioned Fox News and how they parade around, and, and you and I have seen this, they parade around beach bums and welfare mo- baby mamas they find who one. want their free Obama phone. You know, they, they find the, the worst examples of uh, entitled, greedy, lazy people and right. put them on the screen and say, look, That's this is what your tax want. dollars are going to. Mm-hmm. And Obama said, look, these people, they parade on there make me mad. You know, I don't want someone sitting on the beach thinking that they can have everything handed to them. Mm -hmm. But the typical poor person is a waitress holding down two jobs who has a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's the real person that we want to help. That is a that is a real person. These examples that they're holding up are not the typical poor person. Mm-hmm. And of course, Fox News went bananas anytime anyone attacked. That's an attack from the president on Fox. Well, News. he said specifically. But if you if you watch Fox News, you'd never know that because never. their whole menu is poor people are leeches, poor people are sponges, poor people are moochers, they're undeserving and immoral, and so forth. And if we want to change our conversation about how we talk about poverty, we have to stop talking about poor people in this way. Well, and it was fascinating to me that he said, if we want to change Mitch McConnell and we want to change John Boehner, we have to change Fox News. That is so important. He's absolutely right about that. Because they have Rudge and Fox News determine the course of the Republican Party. Roger Ailes runs the Republican Party. And Rush Limbaugh runs the Republican Party. Period. And and the thing is, and this is the part that just made me laugh, um, because I don't watch Morning Joe. I don't watch Joe Scarborough because I don't really need to know because. Can I, I interrupt just, you for a minute? Sure, I just sure. want to, Vegas Jesse over at Crooks and Liars. We, you know, we're on an email thread all day long with, uh-huh. with the staff talking to each other. And she, uh, something came up about David Frum and, and sort of, you know, something going on. He tweeted something and she just said, fuck that noise. You know, just at some point, and maybe this is also the theme of our podcast, I can't call it Fuck That Noise because iTunes won't pick it up if it has a curse ah. word in it. Uh-huh. If it has the word S-E-X in it, they won't they won't pick it up. What about bringing uh, the noise, in the title? The fuck? Yeah. That? yeah, so uh, that's fascinating. But um, fuck this noise, that at some point you have to go to a deeper, calmer place and not react to absolutely everything that is being said in Stupidville. And Joe Scarborough is like that. I mean, I don't know about you, Drift Glass. Actually, I do know about you, but Uh, all of us have someone in our life like this that gets off on pontificating. Yes. And they're wrong about everything. Yes. Yes, they are. And a lot of the time they're racist and it's, you know, the blacks and the Jews and the poor and the whatever. And they just want to pontificate at the dinner table. Or you have a boss that just wants to pontificate about total quality process. (laughs) Well, no, about total quality and being a manager. And I have to manage this and synergy. Synergy. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And how are we going to get social media? And they are just pontificating in in buzzwords that mean nothing. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so 
this and and this is what I thought was so wonderful about your post about Joe Scarborough, because it wasn't about his lie. No, it was about his ability and power to lie. And so, talk a little bit about that. Well, you would. And I, as a brief aside, um, because no one on Twitter responds to me. I mean, <laughs> some people do, but I have tweeted. I've tweeted. I think insightful. Anyone salient. on television doesn't respond right. to you ever. I, yes. I have. I have tweeted insightful, salient, interesting things to Chris Hayes. Uh, 400 times. I've never gotten a response. I've tweeted Stephanie Miller 100 times. I think he has to protect himself a little bit because he he gets 700,000 tweets a day. Absolutely. And and I'm not not saying that that should change because Twitter is is a men's room Mm -hmm. where people scrawl on the wall and throw toilet paper under the stalls and I wouldn't expect it. But um, to David Frum talking about how, isn't it a shame? uh, Too bad we didn't have an $800 billion infrastructure project to fix these problems. Um, like, fuck you, half of it were tax breaks. You can't respond that, uh, that extensively on Twitter. But my point to him was, look, as a person who makes your living under a bridge, David Frum, <laughs> wouldn't you like those bridges to be in good shape? Yeah. I mean, because he's a troll. Yeah. He's just a fucking troll. He's a troll who happens to have a senior editor job at The Atlantic, and he works for the Cameron administration. Uh, I did, bet you didn't know that. He has a consulting firm that is basically a bunch of buzzwords and a donate button that is associated with the Cameron, the new Cameron administration. And he is um, a, an ex-Bush speechwriter. And he's a horrible, horrible, greasy little troll who is on television all the time. And so the question is not, uh, what did what did David Frum or Joe Scarborough say today that is incredibly stupid? Um, or, or just completely untrue. The question is, how do they keep getting away with it? And I understand on Fox, that's the business model. You employ a lot of whores and liars, usually the same, to shake their tits and wear their, their skirts up around their belly buttons and tell giant whopping lies to the bigoted old white men who watch it. That's the whole thing. But how does Joe Scarborough do this? Um, and what was amazing to watch was uh, it, it reminded me uh, nothing so much as either the man who shot Liberty Valance or um, drunk dad, you know, the angry, terrifying, drunk boss who just just dares anybody to cross it, who just sort of bellows across the bar, challenging anybody, I dare anybody to prove me wrong, because he can fire or kill anyone in the room. And so Joe Scarborough just bellowed, dared people on his show, give me one example of Fox News ever saying anything bad about poor people. Now, Okay, that's hilarious because, as everyone knows, and uh, sadly, this I'll, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, it is saying bad things about poor people is the Fox News business model. That's all they do. I mean, they scream about Benghazi and they they lie about the president and they they use every word except the N word to describe him and his mooching wife. But really, what their whole thing is is calling poor people moochers and takers and leeches and scumbags and immoral and on and on for just year after year after year. That is what they do. There's no way that any person who even has glanced at Fox News while getting their oil changed doesn't know that. But one of the most highly paid people on my liberal network who has three hours of time every morning somehow doesn't know that the network that is directly competing with him that's right across the street from him a network that he's got his up whose ass he's got his nose so far that it's hilarious. Who's he, he tries to emulate every day. Um, doesn't bash poor people for a living is beyond credulity. So what he's really doing is daring the whipped dogs he keeps around him as 
coworkers mm-hmm. to stand up to him so he can punch them in the face. That's all. He's a big, loud uh, goon. He's a thug. He's a he's a he's a loud drunk at a party, daring little people to stand up to him. And when they yep. do, he just creams them. Yep. He's an asshole. He's a professional yeah. asshole. He's a well-paid. And Phil Griffin, the guy who runs MSNBC, keeps this well-paid professional asshole on staff to lie for him because Phil Griffin is a is a whore. He's a coward. He keeps these people on staff because that's what pays the bills. And what was hilarious was watching Joe Scarborough's staff yeah. <laughs> staring at their shoes. Absolutely. <laughs> staring out the window. And Mike Barnacle, for half a second, stood up on his hind legs and, and said, well, you know, Joe, they sort of do that. But suddenly, no one on his staff could ever remember even watching Fox News, much less knowing what they talk about on Fox News. And because he was just in, indignant, the arrogance of the president to suggest that there's a right or a wrong way to talk about poverty. And by arrogance, I assume he means uppity. Yep. And what's what's fascinating, again, is not the fact that he's a liar, because, of course, Joe Scarborough is a liar. That's why they hired him. The fascinating part is that, is, it, is that he's put in a place where he gets to bully his subordinates and nobody calls him on it. Nobody calls him on it. And he gets to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next. The thing that made me sad was that I predicted to nine significant digits exactly what would happen to this story. Uh, I saw it on the Twitter. I saw it. Well, can you believe what Joe Scarborough just said? And I, I looked it up and Mediaite carried the story. And then the video popped up on Crooks and Liars a little bit later. And I sat down and said, well, what's going to happen? Well, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a one day story. Joe Scarborough will lie about Fox News in a way that is staggering. That is genuinely staggering. That That is so appalling that clearly this is not about lying. It's about power. Mm-hmm. It's about I get to say this shit and you can't talk back. You have to it. sit it's, down and shut up and look right. at your shoes, which is what this they is, did. Yep. This is fucking Scarborough country. And I get to take my dick out and slap it in your face and you have to take it because I run this show. And Phil Griffin, the guy who runs the network, lets him get away with it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, Phil Griffin doesn't give a shit about liberals. He gives a shit about money. And that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be putting Steve Kornacki on in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays if he cared about liberals. He cares about money. And what Joe Scarborough brings in is money. So Joe Scarborough's paid $990,000 a week to take his dick out and slap Mike Barnacle in the face and pretend the Fox News is a, a good and noble and enlightened network that never says a bad thing about them. And why would this uppity, arrogant president ever say such a thing? And, of course, what clicked into my brain was, now I know what's going to happen. Um, no one will say shit about it. Um, John Stewart and or Larry Wilmore's staff will cut together a montage. Um, the lead on either The Daily Show or The Nightly Show, or maybe both, will be, can you fucking believe that Joe Scarborough said this? Mm-hmm. And then will come a montage proving that what he was saying was flagrantly untrue. And then everyone will try to find a new way to look indignant. Yep. Because this is the same fucking story that we've been telling about these fucking people for decades. And, and that's why never... we have to say, fuck this noise and go to a deeper place. It, and we're going to do that never... right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the point is it never changes. Yeah. Um, and I want to add Stephanie Miller in here. Okay. Stephanie Miller had a section on her show, a segment on her show called Right Wing Watch. Right Wing Watch. And a caller today asked her why she dropped it. She goes, because it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. It's boring. Mm -hmm. After a while, it gets to be so exhausting to say, oh, guess what? A powerful conservative pissed right in your face again today. Guess who it was? Here's a menu of choices. It's all of them always. And guess what they said? And they just, every day, it's a new set of lives from the same people. And Jon Stewart, 
<laughs> this is the thing that makes me sad. John Stewart's retiring in August. He's the only person who quote unquote reported on this story, other than Charles Blow in the New York Times. And he's the only one who ever will. John Stewart retires in August, and Joe Scarborough will go merrily on. Mm-hmm. And that's the state of our media. That's really what it's about. I want to talk about for a minute about the issue going way back to the issue yep. that we were supposed to be discussing, which is poverty. Yes. And President Obama actually wanting to help people who are in poverty uh, have a better life and have more access to uh, pay and the American dream. Um, he, he wants people in poverty to have access to the American dream. That is not uh, that's a that's a virtuous thing. Let me put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, I was doing some research on the GI Bill, of all things, the GI Bill from the 40s, not the GI Bill today, but the GI Bill from the 40s. And one of the things that was in the GI Bill, first of all, was unemployment insurance for ah. returning veterans, um, people who had been in the war for a year and had been honorably discharged from the military. They had a 2052 program, which was 52 weeks, 20 bucks a week, which back then was, you know, something. Yep. Um, the GI Bill, of course, sent millions of GIs to college. Uh-huh. Uh but I wanted to talk about the housing thing because so much of what we talk about on the podcast has to do with affordable housing and how if you if you make sure that people have affordable housing, you will then get stable families. Yeah. Uh, if you want pe- more people to get married, if you want more people to have inside wedlock births, mm-hmm. if you want all of these sort of conservative values to happen and we're going to go back to the 50s, you know, there's this this yearning in the conservative movement to go back to the 50s. And ha- where everyone has, you know, a house and a family and the, the single, the single uh, double parent family and dad goes to work and mom goes, stays home. And, you know, this is the this is the ideal. Right. And you don't get there without affordable housing for people. You just don't right. ever get there. And also a a job that pays a living wage for dad. I mean, if that's the way you want to go and. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to go there because there is a lot of dysfunction in that picture that is is whitewashed over. Oh, whitewash um, is the right word. Big yeah. time whitewashed. Well, that and that's my point. The GI Bill included mortgage assistance and no down payment housing loans for returning soldiers. Mm-hmm. You could get a house with no down payment and with uh, low interest. And this is how suburban New Jersey was built. Yeah. One out of five single family homes in the United States in the 50s was purchased on the GI Bill, 20%. Yeah. yeah. But not black soldiers. No. Really? This is the, there was racism built into the wiring of the GI Bill. Uh, the GI Bill was written with a lot of, um, you could call it. <laughs> A, a negatively framing person would call it interference <laughs> mm-hmm. from um, uh, ve- existing veterans organizations, you know, yeah. the um, Eagles and the all of these kind of uh, World War One veterans coming in and uh-huh. saying, yeah, we can show you how to help veterans. And they really did want to prevent the bonus army from happening again. They didn't want people on the White House lawn saying you promised us you'd take care of us and you didn't like happen. World War One. I mean, gr- Grandpa Gene from uh, right. Madden. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you also don't want there was a real terror at the end of World War II that we're going to go right back into a depression. Yep. And that's a lot of people 
uh, were willing to <laughs> use government money to prevent that from happening because it was so horrible and it was so fresh in people's minds. So, um, but but this wasn't available. Now, now the college thing was available um, to some African Americans, and black colleges were be- did benefit from the GI Bill. There's there's no doubt about that. But the housing, no. Yeah. Uh, Banks would not loan to African Americans. Uh, all of the new developments uh, that were that sprouted up uh, for suburban America were, um, you know, you couldn't have blacks or Jews in uh-huh. the in those communities. And and where do most middle class families have their wealth? And in that's that's also the point. That was that's a huge point of my of the research I did is those houses that GIs purchased for no interest at a low interest loan with no down payment. That's what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, the value went up yep. by a lot. And by the 70s, most of white America's wealth was in their house. Uh-huh. And and so, you know, and then we have the housing collapse and so the bubble and everything else. And that's that's another story. Yep. But the, the difference in wealth between white and black in this country has so much to do with how we spent, gave government handouts to white people mm-hmm. and not black people. Mm-hmm. And no one is suggesting that returning GIs from World War II were moochers or sponges or leeches. No. So uh, what, what it does it's prove, really important to just remember, just remember how things actually were. What it does prove is, and, and I, I would add only mm-hmm. to that wonderful summary, that the opening of small businesses, especially small manufacturing business, mm-hmm. parallels this very closely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The idea that you know you learned a trade in the army, you picked up something in college, and you could start a company almost in your garage um, with a with a loan. You yep. can get a small loan at at very low interest rate and start your own business and fail and start again and fail and start again and fail and finally succeed. And that's how thousands, tens of thousands of small to medium-sized manufacturing companies in this country got started. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how they got started. And that is where, the, uh, if, if the wealth was stored in the house as potential energy, the wealth was generated by the manufacturing sector as kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the same dynamic applies. So it, no, they're not moochers. It's, it's an example of how massive investment of public money in white people. In, in, <laughs> in white well, people. In white people. But but yeah. take color out of it yeah. for the future. Massive yeah. investment in yeah. education, yeah. housing, and small businesses. And this is what the president it's, was talking about, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Massive, <laughs> doing that again, but with just saying, you know what? You don't have to have gone to war. Being an American is enough. Well, and also that this helps private industry a lot when you have good schools and good roads and good yes. parks. And yes, and, and it, it helps the private sector when you build on that. And but you're never, you're never going to get a feudal system yeah. if you start giving, start rebuilding the middle class. You're never going to have the ability to keep driving wages down and down and down forever until you basically have uh, wage slavery. Mm-hmm. And you have 1% at the top and everyone else fighting over cr- crumbs at the bottom. Because the people who militate for change and get it are never the poor. It's always the middle class. It's and this always is the... why. Well, let's skip right ahead to yeah. Lewis Lang of Fort Mill, South Carolina. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of this again, the theme is chickens coming home to roost. <laughs> that which we have predicted yep. comes true before your very eyes. No pun intended. The poor man is losing his sight. He's losing so. his sight. He's a smoker with diabetes, and uh, he lives in South Carolina, and. Um, and he doesn't like that Obama, apparently, and uh, doesn't know how to spell. So we know a lot about him already. Yes. Uh, but he's going blind, and he's lost his ability to work. 
Yes, he has. Uh, and what, one of the things that's kind of glossed over and most people aren't talking about is uh, his business was uh, rehabbing uh, properties that had been foreclosed upon. With the, the the banks have help from the federal government to do that. Yeah. So a lot of the money that is being sent ch- channeled to him. Uh-huh. in order to fix up foreclosed houses, actually comes from Obama. This is Joe the plumber in 20 years. This is Joe the plumber. Uh-huh. And uh, so he is losing his eyesight because of diabetes and smoking. And a lack of health care. And he never got that Obamacare because he could just pay for it himself and uh-huh. uh, be, be you know, Aunt Ayn Rand and uh, <laughs> read his Ayn Rand, except he's going blind now. Uh-huh. And uh, so he's in trouble. And... The uh, he tried to then buy some Obamacare once he found out he was going to need it, uh-huh. and and the uh, it's closed. You know the the window of opportunity to get in on that is closed, and there's, there's an he's not eligible. The enrollment right. period is is not open at the moment, uh-huh. and he is not eligible for a subsidy because he's he's not making enough income. Mm. He would be eligible for Medicaid, except he get- lives in South Carolina. And what happened in South Carolina? Nikki, Governor Nikki, huh? Nikki Haley said, we don't need that Obama. We don't need that Medicaid expansion. No, no, we're turning that down. Yep. We're turning that down. So so he um, is up Shit's Creek and going blonde. He has, he has, this is the living example mm-hmm. of someone who has very methodically taken his best, sharpest tool out of his uh, construction kit, out of his belt. And cut his own throat mm-hmm. for years. This is the prime example because of, of that Negro. Because yeah. of that Negro in the White House, mm-hmm. he has he he mocked and and sneered at that Obamacare. Ain't gonna have no Obamacare. Don't need no Obamacare. And then when he needed it, he ran to get it and found out. You know what? Uh, no, uh, you're broke. And his wife is mad that he wasn't put at the front of the line. In her own words. In her own words. In he her own words. The front of the line. He can't work. He can't he work. Can't work. He's yeah. poor, and and the only thing he has is a three hundred thousand dollars house. Right. He spent all his savings, which was only nine thousand bucks. Right. And I mean, so, we don't have nine thousand bucks in savings. That that made me think. Yeah. Wow, he had nine thousand bucks in savings. Are you kidding wow. me? That's a lot of money. That's party time. <laughs> we don't have yeah. nine thousand dollars in savings. <laughs> Put us on Fox so we can talk about all the you know steak dinners we. Um. Oh my so, God. So number one, he he doesn't like that Negro who who is uh, socializing that medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's not going to have any of that because he can pay for whatever he needs. Uh, and and number two, you know he's he's obviously a dyed in the wall wool Tea Party. Just he's the absolute um, default setting of the deep, of the Tea Party. Uh, not very literate. Uh, I'm sure he gets all his news either directly from Rush or he watches Rush and Fox to get both sides of the Andy, news. Get both sides. Uh, yeah. And uh, and and believes every fucking thing that every wingnut has told him throughout his entire life, and it's led him right to the bottom of the pit. And now and he's at the bottom of the pit. He has a GoFundMe page. See that? Maybe we could have nine thousand dollars in savings if we got a GoFundMe page. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we need – and, well, there's two punchlines in this story. And the, first <laughs> is, the first is the idea that you have fucked yourself and fucked yourself and you voted for a governor who took away – Yeah, your ability to have health yep. Your ability to have health care. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, who do you want to blame for all this? Obama. Obama and the Democrats you know. making it too complicated and too hard to get disability. It's too hard. It takes too long to get disability. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, you know who put out all those roadblocks to disability? Your governor did. Your governor did. And, so, and your wife, of course, says, "Why aren't um, you in the front of the line? Why yeah. he should he should be in front of the line? Because you know, because he worked and he's well. Come on, you mean because he's white? Yep. 
right? Because he's yeah. white. And he's not he's, he's not deserving. Most, he's, he's not deserving. one of those people. He's not one yeah. of the mooching poor. He's one of the good poor. He just didn't this was an accident. This this wasn't the result of bad morals. Actually, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it really was. It was it was your fucked up brain that led to this problem, sir. So but the other punchline is who has been doing the lion's share of funding of this guy? Uh, he's raised half the thirty, over half the thirty thousand dollars she needs. And who does he thank for it? Bless his heart. Give, yeah. Give, give credit for this. Sorry, one last thing. This is a quote from his GoFundMe page. I have to hand it to the liberal side. You sure do know how to get the word out when you dislike something. I say shame on the conservative bloggers for resting on their t h e r e laurels. Yeah. Because you know. No, who's... they're busy funding uh, anti-gay bigotry in Indiana. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the woman said, "I, I." Uh... I would give you money, but I gave it all to the pizza joint in Indiana. I gave it all to the pizza yeah. joint in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. The other one I heard, and I, I, you know, it's I'm so close to Schadenfreude right now. I don't want to laugh at people who are unfortunate, but uh, the, the gentleman or woman who said, I, "I'm sorry, but PayPal doesn't take bootstraps," so I couldn't give you anything. <laughs> you know, hey, fuck you. Hey, guess what? Look in the mirror while you still have your eyesight, sir. You are the problem. Mm-hmm. Not somebody else, not the Negro in the White House, not those liberals who are basically funding your, your medical bills. Your conservative buddies ain't doing it. We're doing it. No, Mitt Romney you're ain't doing the it. problem. And the sooner people like you shut the fuck up, sit in your barca lounger until you drop, watch whatever the fuck you want on television, stay the hell out of our public conversation, and stop voting. The sooner you He didn't people... want this to be a political thing, though. Of course not. And that's the part. And that's the part I <laughs> that's love. That's the I... big punchline. He didn't well, want it to be political. <laughs> because, because hating Obama and Obamacare's communism and socialism... That's not and, politics and the, to that's, him. That's not politics. That's just his default setting. Yeah. That's, that's the country normally running. Because you know the only people this guy talks to are assholes like him. The only people he listens to are people who echo back to him the same bullshit who snowball now, back to him. now on his gofundme page people that are sending him money are giving him a dose of reality and saying to him i am a liberal and what i want for you is for you to have health insurance right and you know what i want that for everybody and i want that for everybody and this is well, and that's you know, a I'm... perfect segue if you don't mind Rick. no 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 please the bible bitch bible bitch that's not scriptural I love Bible Bitch. It's my favorite. It really is my favorite segment. Of the uh, there is a Pew study on the decline of religion, Drift Glass. You know, religion, oh, no. it's just not oh, no. it's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just laugh because the Internet is not old enough to chronicle how many times the media has said that <laughs> there's a decline in belief or faith or churches or whatever. And it, it is true that things are changing. Um, but anyone who thinks that millennials and post-millennials don't have moral values haven't been on my daughter's Instagram pages. Yeah, no. It is all about equality, love, family, universal rights, and a little sprinkling of Jesus in there. Yep. This weekend in Springfield is Pride Festival, which is annual Pride. They mm-hmm. call it Pride. They don't call it Gay Pride, but it is. Yep. Uh, and Middle Child went last year and had a blast, and she's going this year with some of her friends. Uh, they all wear rainbow necklaces and uh, dance and have have fried food. <laughs> you know, the, the food trucks are out. Um, and this year, uh, our new white boring mayor, as opposed to our old white boring mayor who lost yeah. the election last November, um, or actually more recently than that, wasn't it March or April? Yeah. Oh yeah, this was uh, 
three weeks ago. Month yeah. Ago. Okay. He's yeah. he's out, and we have a new white, boring mayor. Um, uh-huh. but he's doing Great. the ribbon cutting at Pride. He's going to be yep. at the ribbon cutting. Yep. And Springfield, Illinois, in terms of city government, is it, pretty um bland. I is. would say it is. It's uh, very boring. Uh, nobody at the city council m- meetings lets their freak flag fly. I no. don't think. No. <laughs> You've been to a city council meeting, did you see? I have any been to several city council freak meetings. flags flying. Did no. you? <laughs> I, I've seen people argue about things. Yeah. But it was about the distance that food trucks should stand from existing freestanding restaurants. <laughs> yes. You know, which you know what? That's exactly what my government. I want my government arguing about shit like that. I yeah. really well, do. City government I, politics is local, and absolutely it is. Yep. You know how wide your sidewalk is is important, and whether yeah. there's a bike trail by your business is important. Those are the kind of things that everybody, every it's person, the- can identify with and get involved in, and can work exactly. together to get done. We've talked about that before. We did. But Bible Bitch this week is from First John, and it is what I think uh, needs. It, it's a call to the churches, in my personal opinion. Uh-huh. Um, I loved what um, Riza Aslan said on the Daily Show this week about: Look, everyone imposes their meaning and their opinion on Scripture. Scripture isn't some freestanding truth. That's what uh, conservatives want it to be. They want right. it. They want to say that their interpretation of Scripture is a freestanding truth that comes from God. No. No. <laughs> no. It is. It is a reflection of their understanding of the power structure and how who should be in charge. Yeah. And they are. They are willing to bounce that off the Bible to give it validity to give yeah. their their sense of who should be in charge. You know, white Christian men should be in charge of all the poor colored vaginas in the world. That's yes. the way the power structure should be. The way God wants so you it. bounce that off the Bible yeah. and, and you'll find, and, you'll find you know, stuff in That's right. So and you'll, so the well the Bible is a bunch of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. And you are the browser. Yeah. Yeah. You're the thing that interprets this bunch of signals into whatever picture you want to see there. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see uh, people talking about poverty and people talking about the sick and the destitute and the outcast and your duty to them. You'll see that there. Mm-hmm. But if you want to, you want to hear about uh, about how slavery is awesome <laughs> and about how men should rule everything. You'll find that there too. So and reading re- reading the Bible in a year and going through all of these Old Testament verses, and uh, I think it was um, who's who's that short comedian that was on Veep who just got fired on Veep? Oh, uh, uh. Patton Oswald. Patton Oswald. Uh, Patton yeah. Oswald in stand up talked about, you know, if if you like the Saw movies, there are parts of the Bible that you will just think are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Horrifying. The dismemberment of the concubine in the Old Testament. There's this yeah. there's I mean, I I don't want to gross anybody out, but there is this scene where someone's concubine gets raped and murdered, and the person that owns the concubine divides her up into 12 pieces and ships her, ships these parts of her body to the 12 tribes of Israel demanding justice. Yeah, you thought the Sopranos was... Ew! Yeah. yeah. There's also, <laughs> I believe... The Bible! Yeah, well, and, and I believe bears were sent to tear people apart for insulting yeah. one of... You know, it, it's horrifying. Parts of it are so there's horrifying. There's parts of the Bible, you know, it's... Have you... Who was the comedian who said, have you read this book? Have you read this shit? I mean, really? Yeah. So, uh... But Bible bitches from First John, and this is my message today to the to people who are worried about millennials and religion. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, 
and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So there's Bible Bitch for today. Well, and, well, well. And you see that universalism. This is the problem. If someone on Facebook mentioned to me there was someone making some noise about something awful James Dobson had said. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Joseph on Facebook said, look, James Dobson has been one of the principal actors who has made the word family code for anti-gay. Yeah. And yeah. and beautiful thing about pride at Springfield, Illinois, is mm-hmm. they've taken the word family back. This is a family event. Yeah. And uh, family is not code for anti-gay at the Pride Festival. <laughs> well, if you want... If you want to keep driving those numbers down, oh, keep yeah. putting people like James Dobson in charge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Keep having Tony Perkins on Meet the Press, and you will drive Middle people child back. Middle child friends have no interest in belonging to any social organization that doesn't include all their friends. Whether their yeah. friends are black, whether their friends are Asian, whether their friends are gay, doesn't matter. And, and the converse mm-hmm. is, remember the, the book, uh, Roger Simon's book, I think, Windy City. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Scott Simon. I, Scott Simon, which you recommended to me. Yeah, it's a good novel. You'd enjoy it. Anybody wants to read a good novel about politics, Windy City is a good – and there's a lot in it that's kind of universal to city politics, but it takes place in Chicago. But yeah, the gay gay, uh, parades, right, in Chicago? Yeah, the the alderman complaining that it used to be enough to just give them a parade. No problem. That's it. Then they're happy. Now they want good schools. And they want parks. And they they want bike trails. You know why? Because because a lot of people uh, who are gay would like to have family, yeah. and they'd like to have good schools for their children and parks they'd for like the kids. They'd like to get married in a church. <laughs> yeah, they'd like to join a church. Yeah, a lot of they, them, not all of them, but some of them. treat them like shit. So if you'd like to uh, bring people in to your house of worship where you talk, where you want, where allegedly you're interested in the outsider, the outcast, the poor, the destitute, and the people who are, who've been discarded by the power structure, which is all the Christianity is supposed to be about. Why are you driving those very people out of your church by putting assholes in charge of anything? Well, and I kind of get a, a, an inkling that the Pope has figured this out <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. because, you know, the power of the Catholic church in large part came from, uh, yeah, Greek Orthodox, you're in. Yeah, you speak yeah. Italian, you're in. Yeah, you're you're Irish, you're in. You know, and we'll take you and your little uh, habits and your your uh, cultural way you want church to be from your culture, and we'll just we'll just absorb that like the Borg. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But you're Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're Catholic. You're gonna, you know, pray, 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 and obey. Right. That's that's what we ask. And then and then you're done. And if we provide, and when I say we, I mean the church, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, a sense of love, stability, and community yeah, yeah. to people, 
then then doors are open. I mean, open doors is the one of the themes that uh, our church that we attend uh, has on their on all their literature, their their advertising literature. And uh, I have to say, um, some individual churches are better at that than others. We're all getting yeah. there. Um, a lot of, and I've said this before, a lot of this is generational, and we're getting there. Uh, I've well, talked to people uh, high up in the United Methodist regime, and mm-hmm. no one has said to me it's never going to happen. They've said, look, right. gay marriage in the church is not a matter of if, <laughs> you know, yeah. in our church. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And it's a matter of yeah. either certain people are going to come around or certain people are going to generationally age out out of this realm (laughs) and and then we move forward um and that's how we all are well and and if i if i i could add that there is one other um person who's leading the uh charge of stupid (laughs) um but he's doing it in a very uh much more um insidious way um and he's humble and he's reticent and he uh, is currently touring the country with his best-selling book, uh, uh, Scolding America, uh, on being more moral. Um, as, David Bro- as David Brooks. And he wants everyone to and, do a bucket list. Uh, well, you know, there are actually worksheets list. that go with this stupid book. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I have a bucket list, and he's near the top of it. Um, <laughs> I want to put you in a bucket. I want to put all of your ideas and all of your columns in a bucket. <laughs> oh, just I want to debate you for one hour in a public square. Oh, wow. Wow. I just Wouldn't want to have... debate you one hour in a public square. Pick the time and place I'll be. He'd um, he would wither. He would wither. And and you can't give me a forty page contract of all the shit we're not going to yeah, talk about. Right. Uh, because all that shit is the shit you we're not going to talk about is because it will annihilate you yeah. uh, in five minutes. But the this this column he wrote that lots of people have you know thank goodness it's one of those months where everybody discovers David Brooks again and goes oh my god can you believe this asshole. Yeah. Um, he wants to have a moral conversation. It's, it's so sad. It's so very sad. We're not having a moral conversation in public. We talk about we talk about economics. We talk about morality. And I know we touched on this a little bit last week, but it's it's worth it to me to bring it back home because this is the subject of this conversation. Mm-hmm. We are having a moral conversation. Yeah. The Pope is on the cover. The Pope is the person of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, the Dalai Lama has a Twitter account. We are busy in this country having a deep and rich and very interesting moral conversation, but it's not on the subjects you want to talk about. It's about the subjects that make you very uncomfortable. It's about poor people, and it's about how poor people have been screwed by the power structure, Mm -hmm. specifically how poor people are demonized, are slandered by the political party you helped create and the the ideological movement you now run. So uh, those are conversations that David Brooks profoundly does not want to have. So instead of acknowledging that we are having a conversation, it's just something that makes me very uncomfortable because I'm a giant hypocrite. He, like everything else, just pretends it's not happening. We're not having a moral conversation. Let's go talk over here about the poor morals of the poor people. Mm -hmm. And that's the conversation we should be having and how we should all be very humble and acknowledge that everyone does wrong things and isn't it sad. Um, And that's the only thing I wanted to do on this topic was button it up with that. It's not just... Rush Limbaugh shrieking or Tony Perkins moralizing. It is this deep denialism that runs Scarborough to Frum to Brooks all the way up to Chuck Todd that there's this entire segment of our public discourse that is that is actively going on in a very positive way that they will not talk about. And there's this other segment of our public discourse where monsters live, where really vicious, awful people tell terribly slanderous lies. And they just won't talk about that either because it fucks up their entire message. It fucks up the, their entire scam. So what's really going on in America, 
everywhere, all the time, is the one thing they don't want to talk about ever, anytime. All right. Bill O'Reilly. What's that noise? <laughs> yeah. Bill O'Reilly's gotten so old, we're not we're even going to mention We're not even going to mention that we're not mentioning it. No. Okay. We'll do it annually. How's that? We'll do it annually. Hey, guess what? Hey, guess it didn't get talked about this year. Bill liar. Uh-huh. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Rosie. Rosie turns 12 in June, and she is the crotchety old lady in the house. Uh, she does not move during the day. <laughs> That's a good cat. Oh, she doesn't move during the day, eh? <laughs> and she is a polydactyl. She has multiple toes, which is just wonderful. We love, we love the polydactyls. You can see Rosie on our Facebook page and website. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, or you can also write to both of us. And this week we got a letter from Michelle who writes... My boyfriend got me started on the podcast a few months ago, and I very much enjoyed it, and we enjoy it together on car trips. I love it when people listen to us on car trips. Yes. We live in Indianapolis and are native liberal Midwesterners, so we really vibe with your entire approach to politics and community. Boyfriend was just hired in a few weeks ago, so we're finally flush enough to donate to things again. And I'm still so sorry about Drift Glass's layoff. So are we. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So this was an easy choice to make. Thank you for your donation. We appreciate it, Michelle. Plus, I share your ire, not only for David Brooks, but for the entire New York Times editorial board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Minus Gail Collins, yes. And the polished turds they publish semi-weekly. I find Tom Friedman to be even more infuriating in some ways, probably because he never met a metaphor he couldn't torture into a poorly formulated foreign policy idea. Yeah, he spoke yeah. at my college almost 10 years ago, and the theme of the talk was, quote, I'm not sorry I advocated for the Iraq war because it was a worthwhile learning experience for me. Wow. <laughs> We're all ants. We're all just ants. Uh, yeah. Cementing his place in the Hall of History's Greatest Assholes, in case there was yeah. any doubt before. Take care, and thanks for all the hours of enjoyment you've brought us, and will continue to bring us. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. We really appreciate your letter. You're actually the second person this week that's told us that somebody in your family got a job, and uh, yeah. that, you, that you're celebrating your new fortune by sharing some of it with us, and we so appreciate that. Thank you. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And I had another idea, Drift Glass. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, looked at our stats. The, the um, podcast hosting service, by the way, that we use is called Buzzsprout. And their customer service is awesome, and they've been giving us a few more stats on our podcast than they used to give us. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, we've discovered that the majority of our listeners actually listen on iTunes. Oh, all right. So my thought is, whatever number of iPhone that you're listening on, <laughs> you should send us that number of dollars. So if you're on an iPhone <laughs> 6, $6. If you're on an iPhone 3, then $3. Um, but if you're on an Apple Watch, you have to send us ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, really, you really have to. You just have. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. No one is listening to this show. Off, on an... No one is listening to this show on an Apple Watch. I swear. We need to pay off our basement drainage system. You should be paying yeah, for that. No one's doing oh, that. We, our sump pump. We're... You can pay for our sump pump with your iWatch. 
Or just just send us the Iowa. <laughs> we'll find a good home for it. No, we won't. Yeah. I don't want that in my house. No, no, that's too much responsibility. <sighs> Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address info is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you. So, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties were all set to invade Texas and, of course, be greeted as liberators. But then they said, oh, fuck it. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Dogface Terman, uh, I think I told you last week that he went to a sheep shearing, and he says he's going to send me some wool. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That, he knows your he knows He knows my weak spot. Of, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. He sent us a new Science Fiction University. These are all dystopian. Oh, I love dystopian. I do, too. Dystopian uh, movies. They're all movies. Okay. And uh, we're going to start with number one, and you see if you can guess the movie. The time is now 9.54 a.m. At 10, you will commence the course. At 12 noon, that's to say two hours from now, the pursuit forces will be set in motion against you. Today's pursuit force will consist of a unit of the National Guard, part of the tactical riot squad of a city police department, and three federal marshals. A word about violence. These next three days will be only as violent as you want them to be. Your capture, should that occur, will be as peaceful as you want it to be. An officer will announce to you that you are apprehended and that your participation in the course is concluded. Should you resist the arrest, or should any of you adopt violence in any form during the course, then we shall use those means against you. In short, you can start the violent actions if you so choose, but I assure you that we will finish them. Oh, I have... I have no idea. Um, it sounds it, like Hunger Games, kind of a Hunger Gameish. Yeah, thing. there was a there was a, a movie with Dennis Hopper in it, mm -hmm. flying around the world in a B fifty two bomber uh, with a. That's with not fun. No, <laughs> no. This one's called Punishment Park. Okay. Okay. It's, uh was filmed in two and a half weeks, and it came out in nineteen seventy one. It is a pseudo documentary of okay. a British and West German film crew following National Guard soldiers and police as they pursue members of a counterculture group across a desert. Oh. It's anti-Vietnam War. It's all Nixon's fault. And it's a total police state. Yeah, there were there, there was a in that genre. Mm -hmm. um, you can you can go with Death Race 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, running I, I think but, it kind of started with Easy Rider, you know, kind yeah. of that vibe. And then people took it to other extremes. Yeah. I can also recommend um, sort of in that post-apocalyptic, everything's gone horribly wrong, gangs rule the world. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a Boy and His Dog by uh, Harlan Ellison. Oh, wow. Which was, Don, if I understand correctly, Don Johnson's very first movie was A Boy and His Dog. Wow. And the entire movie is a punch, is a setup for a punchline at the very end, which I won't give away. Okay. But it's, uh, anyway, there's a whole wonderful 70s subgenre of, of apocalyptic environmental 
fascist type things. And oh, okay, I, I, I never heard of this one. Ever. I haven't heard so. of this one, but it it sounds interesting. Some of these you you might want to watch just because of their historical perspective. You know, in the history of filmmaking, uh, they'd be interesting, even though they might be dogs or bombs yeah. <laughs> at the at the cinema. All right, let's try number two. I do my best to keep up with the published changes. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've read some of those little pieces you've had published in the Times occasionally. In newspeak, too. Good in their way, but only translations. You are still thinking in old speak, clinging to useless shades of meaning. Even the party slogans are changing. How will you say freedom is slavery when the word freedom no longer exists? Oh, I'm sorry. Move my chair, honey, help me. I see Winston, this is a point. Winston. The whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought. It, it, to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we'll make thought crime literally impossible because there'll be no words to express it. Well, that's excellent, but even now there's no excuse for thought crime. It's just a question of reality control, uh, of self-discipline. When Newspeak is perfect and compulsory, there won't be the need even for that. The revolution will be complete. All right. That has to be 1984. It does. With the Newspeak, it kind of gives yeah. it away. It has to be. Yeah, and um, this is uh, from 1954. Do you recognize any of the voices? Um, one of them I'm not sure of, but I'm, I'm positive that's Donald Pleasant. That Donald is Pleasant. Donald Pleasant, yes, yeah. and you get extra points for that. He, yeah. uh, he reminds me a lot of my uh, my stepfather, my late stepfather, <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. Donald Pleasant was in a lot of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in uh, um, a couple of John Carpenter movies, one about the devil in the church and so forth. He was in the Michael Myers. Okay. He was in a, memor- a very memorable um, Outer Limits, I believe. Oh. So he's been around forever. If you, if you didn't catch him in uh, The Great Escape, he was wonderful in that, too. So this version of 1984 is from 1954, uh-huh. and uh, the other actor is Peter Cushing. So. Oh, how perfect. Yeah. 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 I would have guessed um, uh, Richard Attenborough or somebody like that. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Peter Cushing, well, he's dead now, so yeah. he won't be in the new Star Wars. No. Except well, he's you know, a hologram. You know, what with the CGI and these kids <laughs> yeah, they can Twitter and Tumblr and stuff. <laughs> All right, number three. I am Mustafa Mond, assistant controller to her forge chief, Nixona Bick, Western World controller. And I have been assigned to show you certain selected histobunk highlights from the past. But everything is perfect now, and everything will always be perfect. So what does it matter what things were like when it wasn't perfect? Excellent point, but quite misguided. Exposing future stability monitors, such as yourself, to the imperfection of the past is, of course, part of the perfection of the present. Centuries ago, in primitive times, before the dawn of civilization, there were things that would be inconceivable to us today. Such things as poverty. Although there was actually land and food in abundance, some starved, because unlike our perfect society, they were unable or unwilling to balance population to consumption. Oh, that has to be uh, what what you always pair 1984 with when you're doing <laughs> apocalyptic reading in high school. Uh, Brave New World. That has to be yes, Brave New World. Yes, it's Brave yeah. New World from 1980, although it's been remade many, many times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. A much, uh, a much more plausible, a much more plausible dystopian universe, I must say. 1984 is uh, great because Orwell's mastery of language, understanding of how you use language to control thought. But the idea of using pleasure and distraction mm-hmm. as a means of totalitarian control is much closer to what we're looking at these <laughs> we're days. We're actually experiencing, yes. Uh, number four. Uh, you know, 
you ask my opinion, the guy's gotten a bad rap. He's the Antichrist, Dad. Ugh. He's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. I'm just saying. He's done a couple of good things, so sue me. Like what? Seriously. Like what? Okay, well, for instance, um, he abolished the penny. He's the most evil individual who's ever lived, Mr. H. Wow. You know what? The most evil individual who's ever lived is paying the bills around here. Whatever. I'm just saying, he's not as bad as everybody says. That's all. He blew up Chicago, Mr. H. I'm not saying I support everything he's done, Lindsay. I was against that. I was totally against that. And I said so at the time. There's no good reason to blow up Chicago, except for the food, the weather, and the people. Okay, now you're defending him blowing up Chicago. No, I'm not, Ben. I'm just providing context. Oh, Jesus. Um, I have no idea. I, it sounds current. It is. It's from but... 2013. And it's a movie that kind of came and went, and uh, nobody noticed it. It's called Rapture Palooza. Uh Left behind after the rapture, a young woman, Anna Kendrick, and her boyfriend set out to prevent the Antichrist, who is played by Hot Tub Time Machine's Craig Robinson, (laughs) uh, from taking her as his unholy bride. Yeah. I don't go to drive-ins, and that's probably why I missed it. (laughs) That's why you missed this one. All right. uh, Number five. I feel I am not boasting when I remind you that this was, without a shadow of a doubt, the very shortest war in living memory. Two minutes, 28 seconds, up to and including the grave process of signing the peace treaty fully blotted. Prime Minister is coming up. Prime Minister, can you say? Yes, I can say. I can say without any fear of contradiction, out of some pretty tough bargaining. I can say we have finally fixed the rent of number 10 at an undisclosed figure of 100 yen pounds per week. This lease means peace in our time. That, I'm afraid, was the end of the news. Our next scheduled program will be on August bank holiday when Charlton Heston will wrestle His Holiness the Pope for the Sportsman of the Year title. Until then, all walk backwards into long shot while good night is given. <clears throat> God save Mrs. Ethel Shroke. Long live Mrs. Ethel Shroke. God save Mrs. Ethel Shroke of 393A High Street, Leytonstone. Good night. Oh man, I can tell you that probably the time period. This is this is Magic Christian period. This yeah, is... yeah, it is Magic Christian. And, and who's in Magic Christian? Uh, Ring, Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. Yeah. Um, it's uh, man, it it feels like a lot of things that it couldn't possibly be. It feels like um, um, Pythonesque. It's almost. very Pythonesque. This is um, called the Bed Sitting Room. Oh, it's a very okay. weird movie. I can't wait to watch the whole thing. It's online. The Bed Sitting Room. It's a play by Spike Milligan featuring Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. <laughs> of course it is. And, of and course. directed by Richard Lester. Um, mm-hmm. Roger Ebert wrote, if Monty Python's Flying Circus had never existed, Richard Lester would still have invented it. <laughs> oh, I miss Roger um, It is, among the ruins of a London devastated by nuclear war, the survivors ineffectually cling to increasingly meaningless social structures. And apparently the radioactivity randomly transforms various people into inanimate objects. They become a uh, dresser drawer or, you know, it's got that absurdist yeah. quality to it. Yeah. Uh, and um, I I was reading it. It was an absolute bomb at the box office and actually just 
almost destroyed Richard Lester's career because um, it was so bad in terms of people going to see it. But uh, it looks, again, it's one of those that you might want to go watch. It's only 90 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and apparently it's very episodic with no natural breaks in the action like a Monty Python episode would be, just one after the other. So uh, it didn't get great reviews, very experimental, and uh, looks like it might be uh, fun to sit, sit and observe rather yeah, than watch. <laughs> I would have guessed that if, if Kurt Vonnegut wrote Monty Python sketches, this mm-hmm. is sort of... It's kind of that thing, right. Yeah. And, and there is nuclear war devastating everything and killing everybody. So um, there is that part of it, too. All right. Finally, number six. Cohen left Ontological Research Division requesting a disability leave. Or reassignment to work at home. That's management's decision, Mr. Left. We only deal with health issues here. What seems to be the problem? We are dying. Who's we? Us. Ourselves. But there's only one of you. So it would appear. <coughs> the subject has undergone five physicals the last year. He healthy as a horse. Our hair has fallen out. Perfectly normal. According to your file, you're the most productive number cruncher in your unit. Entity crunchers. We work with esoteric data that have a light on their own. And are substantially more complex than numbers. In the experience of this board, dying people are really so productive. Nevertheless, we're dying. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. We're not. Yes, we are. Not, not, not. Bus, bus. Make the body, body bum. I'll do this one. <coughs> You're not dying. Although, in a way from the moment of birth, we all begin to die. Call it divinely planned obsolescence. Soon or late, beggar or king, death is the end of all things. Why, life might be seen as a virus infecting the perfect organism of death. That's enough, Doctor. It's true. Disability request denied. It's back to work for you, Mr. Le. Oh, man. I, I, I can't. It's, it's obviously pretty current, um, and I can even tell you uh, the the guy from um, Inglorious Bastards, Walls, something or other Walls. Yeah, Christoph Walls. Yep, he's in this. That's he, that, he's got a really distinctive voice. He's obviously yeah. in this, so that puts it in the last five or ten years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds really familiar. I have no idea, but it sounds. I think, I think you and I have seen the previews for this. It's called Zero Theorem. Okay. And it's a Terry Gilliam movie. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Nice companion to Brazil is what Dogface Terman says. Uh, Christoph Waltz plays a reclusive computer genius who begins to make headway until his controlled world is interrupted by two seductive and turbulent characters. So I see. Uh, it's, it sounds Terry Gilliam-ish. It does. Yeah, it's got a, that a kind pop, of... Pop, pop, pop in the background, yeah. Yeah, the technology is sort of giggling away in the background mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people talking... Yeah, there there really is a Gilliam. It's much more for me visual, but there really is a Gilliam style. And, yeah, the Gilli- yeah. Gilliam sound. There really is it very much like um, the guy who did Twin Peaks, Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. Well, if you said Dune, I would know it, but you know, <laughs> who, who ruined Dune for the next? Who ruined Dune? Years? David Lynch. David Lynch. <laughs> There's a trivia question for you. Who ruined Dune? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Dogface Herman. We'll be back next week. And uh, this was fun. This love this stuff. I, again, th- these movies: Punishment Park, The Bed Sitting Room. Bed Sitting Room is on online already. I mean, you can go watch the whole thing on. It's not on YouTube. It's on another video hosting site. But you can go watch. It. I'll be back in a while. So. And Zero Theorem. Those are those are movies that we might watch instead of observe rather than watch. I guess is what I mean. Yeah. So. Thank you very much. I love you, Drift Glass. Thank you, darling. Love you too. Bye. Bye.